0: Hello, my name is Rain in the Face, otherwise known as Rain Charger. Uh, I am your host of Living Indigenous Media, a podcast project that I am doing and working on, uh, discussing various aspects of Indigenous media, production, artists, content creators, scholars. Um, Thank you for, for tuning in and listening Uh, This is a a passion project of mine that I've been working on for a few months now. Uh, I am a graduate student at the University of Kansas in the Indigenous Studies Department. Um, This is a bit of a project that I'm working on for my schooling, but it is something that I am intending to keep going on uh, for the foreseeable future, really. Um, Most of the content of this series will be from academics and people who Uh, sit in that kind of relationship with media, but over time I am planning on working with various uh, content creators in kind of different capacities. Um, A little background of my media understanding, um, I went to Haskell Indian Nations University. I graduated from there with my uh, Indigenous Studies degree, Indigenous and American Indian Studies degree. And that's really where I, I became passionate about media. Uh, I, I came to Haskell with the idea that I would work in music and mixing indigenous studies knowledge together and in the hopes of uh, cultural healing, breaking down some barriers, uh, raising awareness. Uh, it's kind of self-determination themes in general uh, has been my area of exploration and more and more i've I've been realizing that the entire spectrum of media is something that is really good to look at uh, and that's what i'm hoping to do with this podcast uh if anyone was curious i am a uh itazi Pachola lakota uh i was born and raised on the cheyenne river reservation um and that's kind of enough background for me uh let's without much further ado uh today's episode is uh, a, a nice sit-down with Dr. Robert Warrior, esteemed Osage scholar, uh, and kind of one of the greats of the field. We had a really nice and profound conversation, in my opinion, of Indigenous literature, and those kinds of genres and themes of media are something that'll be uh, a regular occurrence with this project. Uh, Today we're focusing on literature, another day we focus on film, another day we focus on video games. Uh, So if this grabs onto you, please feel free to send me an email or uh, leave a comment on the Anchor site or uh, get in touch with me in some way or shape. Uh, Without any further ado, here's our interview with Dr. Robert Warrior. I'm here with Dr. Robert Warrior from KU. And we have some questions and discussions that we'd like to have with him about indigenous literature today. So uh, thanks for coming on, Dr. Warrior. Hey, you're welcome. I guess the first thing I want to talk to you about is you're, you're kind of overseeing, you're the series editor of the Indigenous Americas series coming out of the University of Minnesota Press, right?
1: That's right.
0: How have you seen the indigenous change during your tenure?
1: So the the series is uh, one that started about ten years ago, and it's a series that has always focused on on native Native studies, very broadly speaking. And the, the idea behind the series has been to publish books that represent the the, the best books that. Exemplify the the best conversations that are going on in in Native Studies, uh, and the the idea has been to create a conversation through the series that that, that just represent what what scholars and writers are, are are doing in 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 creating the future of, of Native Studies. Of course, it doesn't mean we'll have all the best books in the series. But before the before the series started, there wasn't a series like it that focused in a very broad way on Native studies as a whole. So, the series would be be focused on history or on literary studies pretty tightly and so i I wanted there to be a series that that could take on on what i saw as as the the field of of native studies and and it's been pretty successful in doing that we're now working in the kind of the third kind of the third set of 10 i guess in the in the 20s we're in the 20s of, of books in the in the series and um, and, and so it's always been exciting to, to feel, to, to feel like you can say to somebody that you meet, uh, who's at a conference that, a whose work you run into somehow you read an article that they're working on that, that, um, say to them, uh, especially to somebody who's, let's say just finishing graduate school or who's still in graduate school to say, Say, uh, you know, have you talked to an editor about about your work? And, and uh, have you talked to any editors who are interested in your work? And so I said, well, no, not really. say, well, now you have. You know, I I, I edited a, a series at, at, at University of Minnesota in Native Studies, and really interested in your work. I'd like to see more of it. it. Doesn't mean we're going to publish your book when it comes out someday, but really like to see more of what you're working on and to to see how it fits within this larger conversation about where is and, and and where the field is headed.
0: Wow. Now that's, now that's something that's amazing to me because, you know, the current, the world of editing and publishing, I feel is very dog eat dog right now. And I think it's great to see that, that indigenous perspective kind of coming through like, Hey, we might not be the ones who are going to publish you, but we do want to see where the conversation is going. That's something I wanted to talk with you about as well as like, where is indigenous literature going? Where do you see some of these next steps that are coming out? What do you, what do you see the expansion being?
1: It's a great question. And I think that one of the things I've always loved about being around native literary studies has been being able to think really expansively. So when I, when I came into, when I came into thinking about, native literature was in the was in the 1980s so if we think back to that time a lot of the a lot of the the figures we think of as as really central in at least on in the us to native literature these are people who were still writing still in their heyday as it were at that point, people like Tatamáde were really still right in the midst of their uh, of, of their writing careers. James Welch, who's now passed away, and uh, Gerald Viznor, uh, were were just really kind of cranking out cranking out books. And Louis Erdrich had come along in the early 1980s. Uh, one of the one of the first books I remember buying when I was in graduate school was a remainder uh, copy of Love Medicine by Louis Erdrich. Course, her first novel, right, and uh, buying it off of a table in New Haven when I was in graduate school at Yale, and and not having read anything by her, and picking it up and saying, Oh, it's interesting, I've heard of her, I'm gonna read this book, and being really captivated by it, and seeing in in, in those books, and then starting to follow the careers of, of those writers, and then seeing more people come along, um, uh, in 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 uh, in their wake and realizing that that those successful writers those successful uh, saying successful meaning that they had been successful commercially in finding new york publishers to publish their work that that those writers had uh, those writers in their success other people had been successful as well but maybe not in finding a new york publisher but had been but had been writing poems and publishing them either in tribal newspapers or in a place like Aquasazi Notes or someplace else and that that had, had been writing for years as well alongside them um, as, as poets, as novelists, short story writers had been applying their trade maybe longer than, than some of these um, really well-known writers and that there were at that point within those couple of generations of writers dozens scores even hundreds of of native writers that at that at that point just in the US and then if you looked more globally as increasingly you could do and i guess this was i should say one of the exciting things for me as a scholar coming along at that point it was a, it was an exciting time to be a scholar uh of uh of uh, of the field at that point because it was a it was a great time to do it because there were so many people who were who were working who were coming along it was just a, it was a great crossroads time in at that particular moment in history to see so many people to get to meet so many people who were uh who were doing that kind of work and to see then new opportunities being created for for younger uh, for, for younger writers who could come along who were going through things like the creative writing program at, at uh, the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe and other places where people could could uh, uh, become uh, uh, creative writers. But then also not very long after, after um, and I guess another thing I should really mention p- before moving off of that is to see something like the WordCraft circle of uh, of, uh, of native writers uh, really concurrently with the time I came along as a, as a scholar uh, that was really taking off. And the, the, um, uh, returning to the gift festival, which was in 1992 and the whole process of, of um, the whole series of events in 1992, 1991 that came along with that festival in Norman, uh, Oklahoma, uh that 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 um that 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 gathering of writers which was you know, hundreds of, of of native writers coming together that 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 also prompted new configurations of organizations and people getting together encouraging new generations of writers but it was well, i guess what was so exciting about that is that following that period of time you could see now different sorts of writing come along. It wasn't and poems and plays, but also people stepping into new forms. And it wasn't very long after that that, that that the generation of Native filmmakers really started to emerge in the early 1990s and you can see the beginnings of that, of course, you know that history in the 1970s and 1980s, but you really see the, the flowering of that in the 1990s as people earn their MFAs and filmmaking, or earn their their uh, kind of independent independent um, degrees from the School of Hard Knocks, and just kind of you know learning how to be filmmakers on their own and and learn how to make films and uh um, and you see people really growing as as filmmakers, but also then that's also the time of the internet coming along and so people start using these new forms and start stepping into those forms in 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 a major way, start using those spaces in in uh, developing what now is a very robust uh, uh culture of of engaging in in expressing themselves in lots of ways so that we can see people using YouTube, uh, but also Facebook, Facebook Live, and other uh, things like Twitter, um, Tumblr, and, and any number of other platforms to express themselves at the same time i think that those also create those new forms create ways for people to show people older forms that people have been expressing themselves in all along to realize that people have been expressing themselves over the years over the decades over the centuries in really profound ways through through uh what we think of as traditional native forms that the that the clothes we wear when we dance, the clothes that we make, that people make for us, that those are also really incredibly important forms of expression, and and that, that these that these forms of expression have similarly, I think, been been uh, seen their own growth over the same period of time and and kind of nothing takes a backseat to anything else in this way so that all of these different forms of expression, uh, dance, performance, traditional dance, contemporary dance, drama, uh, uh, even cooking in its own way, all of these things are are up for grabs and are part of a are part of a really exciting moment in which people can see ways of expressing themselves. People can connect to one another in new ways and can see people in the indigenous world, not just not just in the US or even in the US and Canada or in North America, but really globally. Seeing somebody else in a community somewhere nearby or a thousand miles away or halfway around the globe, expressing themselves as an indigenous person an indigenous artist uh, becomes a, a way of, of being inspired, I think, for so many of us. And that leads then to having that opportunity lead to something going on somewhere else and it builds and it builds. And, and I think it's, it, it's still, it's still, a uh, um, uh, an important, an important significant moment.
0: Wow. You kind of, uh, just discussed kind of a lot of what we'll be kind of breaking down on the podcast over the course of it. I, wow. That answer was amazing. Um, <laughs> I guess what I want to discuss then is like, maybe just to, to zoom in a bit more on Indigenous literature, media as a whole in the last you know, 30, 40 years has just been exploding with the advent of technology and the Internet that we have now. I guess, what do you think the role that tr- maybe not traditional Indigenous literature, but just Indigenous literature in general is going to play with all these evolving forms of media as Indigenous peoples kind of hold on to them or, or find new ways of expression? Do you think Indigenous literature is still going to have that seat at the table?
1: I I think I think it will in, in part because because writing is oftentimes incredibly important to to really good media, to so many of the things <laughs> that that are really engaging. Now this isn't this isn't true of all things. It isn't true of of all forms, especially of visual art. It's not true necessarily of Let's say dance clothes. Dance clothes don't need to be really well written, right? So, so it's right. somebody can get a really great, you know, suit of dance clothes made without anybody ever writing them up. Doesn't need to be written well. Um, but so many of the things that that have a that have a uh, that, that that generate a a, a big audience. Uh, um, especially online things that are things that that have a narrative attached to them, those things need to be written. And oftentimes things don't necessarily, don't necessarily show how, how much they, they don't show that the, the writing doesn't show. And that's oftentimes the sign of, a really well-written piece of media that the writing doesn't show. And uh, so we can, we can, we can forget pretty easily that the writing is there, but it is. And even sometimes in what, what we think of as fairly uh, improvised forms of, of drama, the, the, the 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 improvisation is also shaped through rehearsal through somebody saying okay let we, we've done this thing we kind of workshopped it but now somebody needs to take it shape it and commit it to some sort of form and it may never be really written down in the way that it's really scripted but it's still it's still put together in some sort of form to where it's it's um, it, it. somebody puts it into that into that form to where it, it is that way consistently and that's a, a way of of it's very similar to writing in that way and that's what makes it work I think that that's let's say if somebody's doing a comedy routine for instance that's what makes it work night after night somebody doesn't really muck around with a comedy routine and change it a bunch night after night it usually works because the timing is really similar night after night cuz most people are going to laugh the same way night after night right. and so somebody who who performs that comedy routine whether it's done in a group or if it's done in, in as an individual doing doing stand up they eventually know that same thing with a kind of a musical performance or a dance performance. It's the consistency of it. And, and, and that's part of the technicality, which is really important. But I think it's that kind of it, it, for something that is, that is based around a story that has words that go to it. That's where the writer becomes a really important part of the process. The writer typically works with, with a director pretty closely uh even even if the writer isn't actually there what the writer has written is what the director takes and and uses to then bring to life through performances of people uh who, who then who then use those words to bring them to life through performance in let's say uh you know a play or a uh uh some sort of some sort of dramatic whether it's comedic or, or otherwise so the writer really does is, is really important in that way. So I think writing is really important. The to make a distinction that that may or may not be important. I think that the 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 writerly part, the, the writing part, may be more important than the literary part. Uh, so the, the, the to have to have a writer involved may be more important than having somebody who's necessary necessarily a literary figure involved, somebody kind of giving it the stamp of approval of being, of being, yes, this is literary may not be as important as somebody saying this has been, this has been the writers have taken this and have made sure it's really well written. Maybe the important thing. I think that we see that as consumers of, of media, most of us experience this. If we, if we, consume a lot of media we see it we can usually start to see when a when a television program starts to get worn out we can kind of sense when the writers are getting a little worn out or there are fewer of the original writers of a show that was really really great it's no longer very good it's usually not just because the ideas are gone it's usually because a lot of the original writers aren't there anymore uh, and 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 that that makes a big difference, and I think that that it's the oftentimes the talent of the writer, the person who's not actually there acting out the scene that makes something that 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 helps give something life puts words into puts words into play that 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 help provide the meaning. Uh, it doesn't mean that the actors aren't also doing something really important clearly they are but i think that oftentimes somebody providing a different level of of wordplay providing providing words that that can that can elevate uh, that can elevate the, the, the meanings that the words have that people are using in creating a story uh, make things really, really important. Now, those words may come out of the of the process of, of, of really smart, really good performers working together to come up with that. But usually, in the end, they'll come up with it through rehearsing, through doing it again and again, through their improvisation uh, and and happening upon what's the really smart version of this? What is it? through our process of of doing this over and over again that leads to uh, this higher level of meaning that comes through this process of, 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 of of coming to some sort of, of, um, uh, as I say, a higher level of meaning of the words that, that, that we're using with the, you know, with the everything else that goes into the performance as well.
0: So we're having literature have its place in the evolving forms of media and maybe in even a like relatively traditional academic senses. In what way do you think we're going to see more increases of maybe non-traditional literature like native magazines have been cropping up more and more, native news writing uh, in a, definitely a post-Standing Rock era. Uh, where do you think it, it's going for non-traditional literature?
1: So I think the non-traditional forms of literature and what I would even say are usually thought of as the non-legitimate forms of literature have always been, have always been not just important, but have been the dominant forms within the native world. And uh, I, I think immediately to, let's say, to to newspapers, uh, you right. know, if... if and radio stations and things like this. I mean if you look at the things that that are that that are the respectable forms within academic discourse. We think of novels, poems, plays. This is the this is the hierarchy within the academic world in thinking of literary culture. If you think about what's important to a native readership especially within native communities if you ask people what it is where they actually encounter writing within their communities it's going to be much more likely that people read a tribal newspaper than they go out and find out who's the local novelist the local poet I think the people are much more likely and it's probably true of you know actually most most people in the world right they don't they don't say hmm, I'm going to go read the latest novel. They're going to, if they read anything at all, it's going to be something they they find uh, elsewhere, and uh, that's not as legitimate. That's not that's not as high up in that hierarchy. And I think that I think that one of the things that I've always liked to do, especially being somebody as a as an um, academic insider, uh, okay. who did come from inside the <laughs> academic world at all who always felt like I was uh, I guess it, it likes to think of myself as infiltrating the academic world um, right. but, that uh, it, it's a little bit of a revenge fantasy I guess is to say bringing bringings that th- that sensibility that I want to bring that into the academic world is to say well I would I want to bring the legitimacy of people's interaction with a tribal newspaper and the poems that people even publish in those newspapers. I mean, I think this is one of the things that happens in tribal newspapers that doesn't typically happen in a local newspaper: is they become outlets for lots of things. They become tribal newspapers right. have, have so often been outlets for things that that can happen, like people getting lessons in their own tribal languages. Um, uh, they, they become ways for people to connect to each other. Tribal newspapers typically don't just have a local audience on a reservation, but they become national newspapers where the, where the, the citizens of a, of a tribal nation, this newspaper gets sent out across, uh, you know, across, uh, to, to lots of people, um, Right. You don't just live locally, but it's something you receive if you, you know, if you live far away, and so people can connect up to what's going on. Of course, increasingly people now can connect up to what, to the online presence of that, of that tribal newspaper, and kind of keep track of what's going on at home, even if they've never lived there. Right, they can kind of feel that right. of what's going on back home, uh, in, in that way, and uh, follow politics follow uh cultural life uh, in that way um so i think that those those what i think of as those non-legitimate forms have always been so important to writing within the native world that's been one of the main reasons and motivations for native people to embrace writing has been in in order to use writing to to be able to Uh, to use it for that kind of purpose to share news within a community Um, uh, and to be able to, to be able to not just, let's say do something that is so vitally important, like record stories that may not get passed down otherwise, but let's say write down my grandma's recipe for, Uh, for traditional food that she makes, uh, right? Or something else like that. That may be a reason why somebody wants to learn how to, to write. Um, uh, And things that are, that are maybe seem smaller in ambition, but are within a family and within a local community, incredibly important and pay off over time in really important ways. I think that that's why, when you listen to, when you listen to, let's say a latest generation of people who produce a lot of the the forms of media that that you can see coming out, whether it's kind of short form video or even longer form video, or magazines or uh, music, you hear a lot of people who come from, whether it's. You know whether it's reservation based or city based, there are people who come from from settings where where they they embrace a, a certain kind of um, I want to say kind of a fugitive mentality where they already know they don't their their mindset doesn't fit in to the mainstream of the rest of the society that they're growing up in that they're participating in in U.S. society, they don't find their mentality, their consciousness represented on AM or FM radio. And that's why they want to make music. That's why they want to put together a band. They want to, I mean, they want to play rock and roll. They want to play whatever it is they want to do. But part of why they want to do that is because they want to bring their sensibility, their particular experience, and they want to give life to it. Through their music, through their performance, through this, through this form of expression, through this way of, of 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 giving life to what it is that they they feel like they're bringing to to the to the act of, of expressing themselves, and then, and but the next part of that is, and this is where I think new media becomes really important. The next thing they want to do is they want to connect, and new media gives them new ways of doing that, new ways of connecting with somebody else. And that's I think part of the excitement is now you can connect with somebody else. You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, drive three hundred miles uh, to, right. to to meet somebody who might share your really weird taste in, you know, in music maybe weird's not the right word, very eclectic taste in music. And maybe all you got to do is kind of maybe post your video or your, you know, your, your music online. And somebody's, like Hey man, I just heard this really cool track. You just, you know, you just dropped on the right. channel and I totally was grooving on it. And this is what I'm doing. And, you know, maybe that person lives in Aotearoa in New Zealand, right? And they're a Maori the Maori, uh, you know, they got a Maori band and you kind of then start trading back and forth and, and, and realize that somebody has got a different, a little bit of a different beat, but they're doing something similar. And then now you're kind of, you're, you're really kind of grooving with somebody, uh, half a world away. And, um, uh, you know, and that can be, that can be something that, that it would have been so hard for that to happen even 20 years ago, it's a little bit easier now. It's not like it's super easy now. Somebody still is probably going to spend most of their time feeling pretty isolated. Um, But I think that possibility that, that, that other people are out there makes things, makes things a little bit different. And, and, you know, I think when you're, when you're playing into isolation, whether you're playing a guitar or you're dancing, you're drawing a picture, you're making a sculpture, any of those things. I think, you know, isolation is kind of the name of the game. It's part of an artistic sensibility. But wanting to connect, I think, is also a part of the, the desire that so many people bring to the process. And knowing that that might be possible, that that audience of, of indigenous uh, uh, people who can appreciate what you're doing is out there, I think it makes a difference.
0: You know, as I've been developing these thoughts about media, I, you know, you think back to other, let's say, you know, minority communities where uh, developments and communities kind of came together, you know, Harlem Renaissance, the islands and Caribbean, Calypso music, reggae, you know, Scott, all of that, Korea or K-Town in Los Angeles, you know, all these different places where there's been, you know, these renaissances. You know, is is that space on the internet or these better ways of communicating? You know, is that where the native, you know, not maybe pan Indian, but inter-tribal or whatever you want to call it? You know, is that where that movements are happening? Is social media?
1: Off? Yeah, exactly. I think. Yeah, no, I think. I, mean, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And and I and part of what you're what you're describing is both the desire, it's a desire to connect. And the next stage after that is an implicit knowledge that, that what, what any, anybody who's trying to, to create, is trying to make, make something that is a, is a form of, of expressive culture what you need is other people around who are doing similar things because it's part of how you challenge yourself to get better and, and to do more and either to collaborate or to just have somebody doing and say, I mean, it's just like the, you know, it's like the, um, it's like the, just kind of the, the call and response kind of way of doing things like that person, I'm going to do this. I'm going to kind of go out and, and, make this thing. And then somebody sees that and they say, Oh yeah, well I'm going to do this. And I'm, I'm going to build on that. I'm going to make mine better than that. Not because I'm trying to show you up, but because that just, I just saw that and that just kind of made things kind of explode in my head. And I went, Oh yeah, that person got what I was doing. And because they saw right. that, they took the next step. And so, so often I think that what, I think that what, what's happened in the indigenous world is that, is that intellectually and aesthetically, but mainly aesthetically in this context, people have become accustomed to being their own inspiration. And so they kind of create your own, kind of your own way up the mountain. In your own way towards the next goal, and so okay, I'm going to be my own my own kind of landmark. I'm going to build the thing that I then build on it myself. And you always have to do that in a way. You you have to be your own kind of landmark. But if you can have have, I think when you know using the term renaissance, I think is kind of the proper the proper way to think about it in terms of. Anytime you, what you're really looking for is critical mass, because anytime you have critical mass, what that what that critical mass is is people coming together in close enough proximity to each other that 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 the that the energy that they create just by being in proximity means that that their work becomes bigger than it would be. Uh, you know that the, that the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts and you know when I hear people I guess it always reminds me of um, what, what I guess is exciting about now and I don't necessarily have just any real concrete way of I don't have any way to quantify it and say here's exactly what I'm talking about but uh, and I think probably the better people to talk about this would be artists themselves but I think that what what it reminds me of is listening to people who uh, to poets from the 70s and early 1980s who say you know uh, they lived in the people who lived in Albuquerque in the 1970s native poets and they'd say what was great about living in Albuquerque in the 1970s is that everybody came through Albuquerque and and so right. you know That's where if if you lived in Albuquerque, it meant that, you know, you would you would get to meet everybody and we'd just have readings. And so uh, that, you know, that you hung around long enough and this person would be coming through town. And so it wasn't as though you had like what people would say was the American Indian Renaissance. It was really kind of the Albuquerque Renaissance. And, right. and other specific places where where you could see really specific communities of of of, of artistic and aesthetic innovation that that where, where things really took off and, and where people really were able to to to, to uh, um, plug into into that. And and really take advantage of it, and, and I think that's exciting. Uh, and and I think that now it doesn't necessarily have to have quite as much, uh, quite as much uh, um, geographic location. Although I think it still really helps. I think people being in the same place at the same time is really helpful. I know, run filmmaking in in uh, the early two thousands. I was just I taught at the University of Oklahoma then, and living in Norman, I I was really, I was surprised at how much things were were happening because so many filmmakers were just kind of happening to come through Norman right then. Part of it was that Sterling Harjo was living in the right. place, one of my students back then. And, and um, I didn't teach her how to make films, by the way. I'd love to be able to take credit for that, but I can't. But uh, but um, but you know he was he was living there and then he moved to Tulsa. But other people um, like Black Horse low just kind of gravitated to there for various reasons and other people were living in Norman and there was kind of necessarily no necessary reason that they were, but people were kind of living there and working there and they were getting to know each other and so there was a, a, a that similar kind of thing where it was a good place to be because there were, right. there were people there, and people could help each other out. So if somebody's making a film now, I need somebody to do sound on my film. Well, there's somebody who's here. I can get them to do their, their work. Albuquerque is another place where that was also happening. People like Melissa Henry living there at the same time as Jason Asenap and others who were making really great films around the same time in the early 2000s. And, and uh, you know, these are all collaborative kinds of, of um, art forms. And to collaborate, you need people who know what they're doing. And I always think that even though you can find good people to help you out on your film, having other Indigenous filmmakers around is always is always a, is always a great thing. And some filmmakers are really demanding. Like uh, I think of Black Horse Low, he'd always wanted to really have. He's always really wanted to have other uh, Diné uh, Navajo filmmakers working with him, sound people and, 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 and uh, other technicians just similar to how um, uh, Victor Masayas has always worked as well wanting to have other Hopi uh, people working with him on his films and th- so um, yeah anyway that's yeah you know, a lot that goes into it and and anytime time that the that things come together in just the right way I think that that, that you're really fortunate to to, to be there to, to see it.
0: Well, yeah, I, I think we're in an interesting time for, uh, indigenous media in general and particularly indigenous literature. Dr. Warrior, I'm going to have to say thank you so much for talking with us yeah. today. Well, there you have it. Our interview with Dr. Robert Warrior. Um, a really nice guy. I just, I love talking with him. Uh, I hope to have him again featured on, on the show in a different capacity. Maybe, uh, maybe looking over one of his works. Um, which I recommend. If, if you haven't read anything by Dr. Warrior, uh, I would check out Tribal Secrets. Um, he has a lot of articles. He's, he's been an editor on, on tons of books. Uh, and really, the Indigenous America series out of the University of Minnesota Press. Uh, I, I, I think they're kind of setting the pace in Indigenous studies, uh, in my opinion. Um, uh, I really appreciate you listening and... Any further inquiries or maybe suggestions for people for me to interview, uh, go ahead and send them to me. Uh, You can reach me through the Anchor website. Uh, I'll have an email link up there. And again, Wopila for listening. Thank you.